What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Welcome to the program. It is Thursday, a football Thursday for the Denver Broncos. I'm Chandro Tar. Sandy Clough is on my left. Danny Bailey in the booth. It's your program as well. You can react with the show via call or text 303 831 1340. Sandy, the Broncos go into KC. They have lost now 15 straight to the Chiefs. It doesn't matter if they play them uh, anywhere. Denver, KC, London, the moon. They're not beating the Chiefs, and it's not going to happen again tonight. The question for the Broncos, as they apparently get a little healthier, reportedly Greg Dulcich will be activated from the injured list and will be able to play. Uh, Javante Williams also expected to play. The Broncos are... Not realistically going into this game, even with the hope of winning it. They are hoping to at least look like a team that is somehow on the rise, which they have been unable to do. They appear to be, quite frankly, a team on decline from even last year's debacle that saw Nathaniel Hackett not even last through the season. As we go into this game, the Broncos are 1-4. and four. Uh, They haven't won on the road. Now you're looking at a point in the season in which we're was it sort of the quarter pole more or less i know it's 17 games now what are uh, your the, thoughts on beat chicago on the um, road pardon, I, they, I, you're right i know that doesn't really count no you're right they beat chicago on the road pardon me i still have kc on the brain but the uh now though we've kind of reached that quarter pole you compare where sean payton's team is at as compared to where yeah. nathaniel hackett's team is at Am I off? Is there something better that makes you think the Broncos are in a better position than they were last year? absolutely not. And last year they played the Chiefs, I believe, twice in December, if memory serves. Um, This year they get them twice in October. Yep. And I doubt they will be in much better shape. Now, uh, I said at the top of the show yesterday that uh, last year uh, was one of the few years during this – 15-game losing streak to the Chiefs that goes all the way back to November of 2015. Last year, uh, apart from, I believe, 2018, when they lost by four and by seven, last year the final scores were close. Uh, the games, however, mm, not really. 
Uh, Denver lost 34-28 here in early December, but they were down 27-0 with a minute 36 left in the first half. In Kansas City, yes, they lost 27-24, but they were down 27-17 with 6 minutes 15 seconds left in the game. So uh, the scores were a bit misleading. The Broncos were never really in any danger of winning either of those games, but they did get closer. And if you look at uh, these 15 games, uh, 11 of which have involved Patrick Mahomes, a quarterback, Mahomes has been scintillating on several occasions, but hardly on a game-to-game basis, simply because he hasn't had to be. Uh, you know, Travis Kelsey will pop up with a great game. Expected Back to play when tonight. he was with the Chiefs, Tyreek Hill. Uh, sometimes uh, it would be a running back like Kareem Hunt uh, when he was with the Chiefs who would go off. Uh, and sometimes Nick Bolton would win a game with an 86-yard fumble return. We've seen that. And Bolton is going to be playing tonight, I believe, for the first time. Uh, this year. Now, the Broncos do get Dulcich back. Uh, the most interesting thing about the Broncos right now is that when it comes to trade rumors, the Broncos are very much at the head of the parade. Bill Barnwell of ESPN.com today wrote a piece suggesting 15 possible trades, four of which included Denver Broncos. Exactly right. He had him trading Alex Singleton, Jerry Judy, and because he wrote the piece earlier this morning, Frank Clark, who I guess still could be traded. It's kind of like the Gregory deal. They'll release him if they can't trade him. Somehow they were able to trade Gregory to San Francisco. Somehow involved eating $10 million. Right. Draft picks and so on. Uh, Actually... Barnwell has them trading Clark back to Seattle. Mm-hmm, which makes sense. Where he started his career uh, and getting a sixth rounder next year back in exchange, which wouldn't be much if that's the deal that they end up making, whether it's Seattle or another team. And, and all they get back is a sixth that's pretty much like the Gregory deal. And Frank Clark is much less expensive. He's on uh, a one year deal uh, for what? Uh, and and it was restructured yesterday reportedly to save about 1.6 million and change in other words to to facilitate a trade but uh, so we've got singleton traded judy traded according to bill barnwell frank clark and kewan williams uh who would be going to philadelphia and he has uh, the broncos trading singleton to dallas well they just lost vander esch for at least four to six weeks, if not for the season. And uh, Jerry Judy going to Green Bay for another wide receiver and a second-round pick. But even Jerry Judy by himself cannot bring another wide receiver and a second-rounder in 2024. The Broncos, according to Barnwell, would have to toss in their own fourth-rounder in 2024. So... Even the idea of trading Judy and getting a second back, yes, 
and you can get a run-of-the-mill wide receiver who's just a guy. But you also, in order to get the second and the receiver, you have to throw in a fourth to go along with Judy, which, you know, a second-round pick next year is better than a fourth-round pick next year. Mm -hmm. They don't have any second-round picks next year. I suppose they'd rather have a second-rounder than a fourth-rounder. And maybe they could make another deal. Uh, I don't know about 2024, but the suggested trade for Singleton involves a fourth-rounder in 2025, along with Singleton uh, going to Dallas. Uh, and the Broncos would get back a sixth-rounder in 25, and Trey Lance, the quarterback. If such a deal could actually be made, I'd make that one in a heartbeat. I'd make that one in a heartbeat, and I'd make sure that Trey Lance sees game action during the second half of yeah, the season I, with the Broncos. That is, that's an interesting idea, the idea that somehow you could get Lance. The, the argument would be that uh, basically, well, He's the reason the Dallas acquired Lance, and there's no question that this is the case, basically it was you have a talent, you got it at a discount price. Right. Jerry Jones walked right. through through the stores, and there was the one thing that was 90% off that he was interested in last month, yes. and he just decided to grab it. Exactly. There, I, I could see a scenario because remember the catch with Trey Lance is is third overall pick, and you'll have to if you want to invest in it, you'll have to pick up his option, in which he starts making some decent money. And it's possible. That said, yes, if if a combination of Alex Singleton lands you Trey Lance, you have to start throwing darts. Absolutely, you do it. I I sort of laughed that idea off, but then again. If you look at Dallas's situation, Dallas is desperate, and Dallas wants to win now. Well, and Dallas and they've is just not... lost Van Der Esch. They don't know that they're getting him back. Singleton is overrated, to be sure. But he does. And he's he does collect old, your tackles. But he tackles. People. And you know what? If they prefer Josie Jewell instead, whatever. Sure, fine. Yeah, no big deal. Wouldn't but, make any. But the it is a possibility. I think because if you look at Dallas, uh, Trey Lance has proven nothing. In fact, only that one of the very well, elite. Teams in the NFL no, gave up on him. He, he's he's. Let, let me let me let me explain. And um, well, he hasn't proven he can't play. Because he hasn't proven he can't play, but he hasn't proven anything except, except we know the Niners gave up. If you're the the Cowboys, you are a team that is built to win now. And yes, obviously you played the Niners and it did not look good, but you've looked good otherwise against the Niners, who look like the best team in the league. And it's hard to imagine finding a way to move on from Dak Prescott and going with Cooper Rush and Trey Lance. That's not realistic. They're not going to commit a big deal to Trey Lance. And so perhaps if you're the Broncos, that's the right move. Uh, you go ahead and, and see if you can acquire Lance and figure out what to do with him in the offseason. Because I, I do not believe, I understand the cap, it's going to be ugly. The Broncos season, which is now already in the tank, this is Russell Wilson's last year with the Broncos. They are going to find a way to move on. It's going to be best for both parties. And I think it's very, very evident and increase it. We're going to see it every single week for the rest of the year that it's going to be better for both sides to split up. No matter the fact that it's going to set the NFL record for dead money. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. But the if previous they one is the guy in the booth first. now, by the way, yeah. in Matt Ryan. Yeah. Uh, the, um, you can split it up over a couple of years. The post June first release would allow them to take the eighty five million and divide it thirty and fifty five over two years rather than having to pay it all in one year. But the idea of moving on from Clark and and this has been a problem all the way back since training camp. Look, Clark, this isn't the team you wanted to join. 
He wanted to stay with the Chiefs, but he and you have to remember that he and had a, he and his agents had sort of a fallout. There was a bit of friction there, and the Chiefs decided just to move on because that's quite frankly what the Chiefs do. Ask Tyreek Hill, ask a couple other players. It it fits the way we like it to fit, or that's okay because we have plenty of people that we believe can succeed here, and no one has a problem. We don't have a problem recruiting guys to the Kansas City Chiefs to come play with Patrick Mahomes. So Clark ends up in Denver, and. In training camp, missed practices, and hasn't been able to be productive or even get on the field here. The idea that Clark even wanted to be here, I think, is laughable. He took the job that, that he's a free agent. He took the job that paid him the most. That was Denver. But with the Broncos now playing the Chiefs, I want to go back to training camp. And, and really, his first interview with, uh, with the media, and I was there, standing there, looking right at him, when he had a fascinating answer to a question about how the Chiefs over the years now have seen the Denver Broncos. I wouldn't call it a rivalry, and a rivalry is, is competitive, true or false. Um, and I'm on the Broncos now, and I've been on the other side, you know what I mean? And we didn't call it a rivalry then. Um, I'm with the Broncos now. Until we become competitive enough, we have to beat the team. We have to win our division. We have to do a few things, not just about the Chiefs. Um, it's, it's things we have to do here. We got to get our own ball together here in order for us to go out there and compete, for us to become one of those factions. Now, no lies detected, quite frankly. <laughs> was absolutely right. I mean, a rivalry requires both teams winning, and the Broncos haven't done that since before they won the Super Bowl, which feels like forever ago all of a sudden. But let's look at what's happened here. Before the Broncos, remember, the Broncos this week said we're not in business on any of our players. In other words, Sean Payton wanted to stop the idea that they're interested in trades, which was farcical, and we've broken that down. That's one of those Sean Payton things. He says something that's obviously not true, and if it was true, it would basically be dereliction of duty. So, I mean, obviously, they're they're listening, but we've seen them move on from Randy Gregory, a George Payton addition that I I know I questioned, Mm -hmm. and that's not me necessarily patting myself on the shoulder, but it wasn't a home run selection. They, They make that move. They have to move on from Randy Gregory they have to eat $10 million. The Broncos agree to pay $10 million of his salary this year. He goes to the Niners, who, by the way, if the Niners look like they look, might be picking 31 or 32. <laughs> and the Denver Broncos might be picking in the top two or three. So sure. you ate $10 million of Randy Gregory's salary to move up, what, five spots? To swap their sixth and the seventh? I mean, that's maybe what you're talking about. And that's a, that's a George Payton move. You can hold that against George Payton. Go for it. Sean Payton was in charge of the Denver Broncos when they added Frank Clark. True. Frank Clark had a multi-year deal with multiple voidable years. It was really just a one-year deal, much as Gregory's really was a two-year deal, no matter how right. pitched. Right, in terms of the guarantee. And Clark's was really a one-year deal. Right. But the, they've now readjusted that contract to save about $1.6 million, which is an interesting number to, to readjust and save. What that tells me is they're facilitating a trade, and the people they've talked to about it have to have Frank Clark's number down to X and the Broncos may end up eating that as well. This was a pass-rushing room that Vance Joseph, the Broncos' defensive coordinator, said was the best he'd ever been in. That included, included Gregory Randy Gregory Clark. and Frank Clark. Already, before the Broncos play their sixth game of the year, both of those guys are gone. The Broncos, and they were supposed to be the starters. the starters. Remember during the preseason? The excuse for not playing them more was, well, they're starters. They're veteran guys. They're starters. Those were those were your two edge rushers. They were the two starters. So don't be fooled into thinking that the Broncos 
oh, well, you know what? They're they're committing to a youth movement they knew about. No, that the, the plan was Gregory and Clark Stark. George Payton and Sean Payton both picked the wrong guys that were bad enough that in George Payton's case, you had to move on after one year and a handful of games. In Sean Payton's case, you couldn't even wait that long. And by the way, it's a minor release, but earlier in the week, the Broncos released wide receiver little Jordan Humphrey, a it's player not- that... Sean Payton yeah. brought in because he was with him on the Saints. Right. Right. And I mean, has already, after that's a pretty five weeks, played buyer's himself, remorse by, played by himself Sean off Payton. The team. Right. The idea of Sean Payton being the guy that runs the football, you know, it, I get it. It's been en vogue to throw George Payton under the bus after some of his moves have backfired. I get it. Hey, at least they took a while to backfire. Sean Payton's are instant regret. Well, Randy Gregory is close to instant regret because the, the knock on Gregory when he came here was not that he couldn't play. It was that he couldn't stay healthy. And he got suspended a lot in Dallas. Now, that hasn't so much been an issue here, although he was uh, clocked by the league last year for that silly fight he got into at the end of the game against the Rams. Right. Once he got hurt last year, it's, it's the same story all over again. And that knee injury might not only be career-threatening, but, you know, in terms of the kind of player Randy Gregory is, people talk about the talent, but he hasn't recovered from that knee injury. Last September, he was a pretty good player here. Mm-hmm. Well, Amid, as, soon as, as soon as the season started, he chaos, was. Chaos, yeah. certainly on the offensive side of the ball, but the defense wasn't too bad for the first month of the season. In fact, it was quite good, and he was one of the reasons for that. Then he got hurt. Frank Clark has always carried with him the reputation of being a guy who can help you a little bit during the regular season, but a lot during the playoffs, which made it mystifying as to why the Broncos went after him, because the Broncos never make the playoffs anymore. So why are they bringing in someone who's been – since 2018 anyway, notably unproductive during the regular season. Mm -hmm. Now, his numbers go way up in all facets during the course of the playoffs, but to coin a phrase around here, playoffs? You're bringing (laughs) a guy in for the playoffs? got Got a former Saints coach there, too, talking about that. In Jim Moore, keep in mind when you look at these guys, when you look at the, the production that the Broncos have gotten, Frank Clark made $5.45 million guaranteed. Right. Frank Clark has played in two games and has two tackles. That's that's the total. That's what the Broncos and are going to no get. And no sacks. And no sacks. For $5.4 million. Okay. Yep. That's bad. Get to Randy Gregory. Gregory had $28 million guaranteed. Over two years. Over right. the two years. But $28 million guaranteed. With the Denver Broncos, he played in 10 games. Only right. Six of which he started. He did knock down a pass, force two fumbles. He did have three sacks as he started out well, as you said. And 21 tackles. But that is the sum total there. For $33.5 million guaranteed for the Denver Broncos, who are both, by the way, considered by the organization to be so extraneous to what they are trying to do, to be 
unceremoniously dumped with the Broncos eating the Bills. Right. A quarter of the way into the season. You want to know how teams stay bad? That way. That's how. That's how. And you dip into the free agent market at your own peril, and we explained how the Broncos were a modest spending team in free agency when George Payton got here and talked all about, hey, I'm a draft and development guy. Uh, Every now and then we'll dip into free agency, but it won't be a habit. Um, The first year, he did not really get all that aggressive. The second year, top 10 in spending. This past year, in association with Sean Payton, the Broncos led the league in free agent spending in the offseason of 2023. Led the league in free agent spending. You expect to make a leap forward. And for one of line. those guys they brought in was Frank Clark. And the year before, I believe they were seventh in free mm-hmm. agent spending. You're correct. Most one of the guys they brought in was Randy Gregory. For the Broncos, bust. this is a bad, bad, uh, it, it's a bad look. It's a bad move. Everything about it's bad. Expect to hear about it on the broadcast tonight when the Broncos take on the Chiefs kickoff at 6.15 p.m. on uh, Amazon Prime video for Thursday night football. Uh, we will get back into that, but uh, we will look at the debut for a moment. We'll divert out in La La Land where the Colorado Avalanche uh, looked the part of a team ready to maybe uh-huh. one year later potentially defend the Stanley Cup they won two seasons ago. A great start for the Avs. We'll talk more about that next on My Life Sports. Sandy Clough and Sean Drotar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. This is Sandy and Sean on Mile High Sports. This one sent to head. McKinnon trying to win a race, and he will. Beats out the icing amidst the pressure from Gavrikov. Granted it in a battle there with Anderson. Anderson taken down. Here's McCarr across the ice for Jack Johnson. With a wrist shot, scores! Miko Rantanen! His fourth point tonight on the tip down beats Cam Talbot. ...of the goaltender Georgiev. And then look at this change of events with McKinnon hunting down the puck, Jennifer. But look at that strength by McKinnon to make sure he wins the race. But then the physicality here by Rantanen to be strong on the puck, eventually win the battle to maintain possession, and then the shot from the point. But that's established... The call from TNT's crew of Brenda Burke, Darren Pang, and Jennifer Botterill right there talking about Miko Rantanen's fourth point. If every day was the season opener for Miko Rantanen, who the second year in a row has averaged 420 points. Yeah, 320 points. I mean, I probably won't get there, but I mean, wow, again. And so many interesting questions around the Avalanche. They win 5 to 2 over the Kings. Both of the Kings' goals, I'm not dismissing them, but they were uh, glitches. Let's just say that. I thought Georgiev was brilliant. Now, I, I do think the Kings' goals were um, 
a little flukish uh, in the sense that uh, on the first one, uh, the two defensemen on the ice at that point, Manson and Johnson, who really don't play very much together, but happen to be on the ice at the same time, they both Both fall down at exactly the same moment, uh, and that leads the goal. And the second one was a set play that with 10 seconds left in the second period that backfired, and it caught Gruen and McKinnon going toward the attacking zone. Uh, Smart play to uh, flip it in. Uh, Georgiev made the one mistake he made all night, mishandled the puck. Uh, Instead of clearing it all the way into the corner, he had trouble with it. It was bouncing and spinning. Uh, So the puck ends up on, uh, I think, Byfield stick. And he throws it in front, and it goes off McCarr's stick. McCarr's trying yeah, to recover, straight and it in. ricochets straight in. So they scored one goal last night, which they touched the puck themselves. Wasn't <laughs> right. Going in off an opposing player. And, uh, you know, listen, they had 36 shots on goal. They played a pretty good offensive game. They had eleven power, uh, five power plays. They got 11 shots off, and Georgiev was brilliant, I thought stopping all 11 shots. I thought in the second period when they gave up uh, the the two goals, well, they had 19 shots on goal, the Kings yeah. did, in the second period. I thought the second period was actually his best period. He made the one mistake uh, at the end, but there were it was a confluence of mistakes. But, I mean, 11 saves but on the power 11 play. 11 saves out of 11 Oof. on the five power plays that the Kings had. And, uh, you know, the, the officials were having some fun uh, last night making up calls if that's a cross check <laughs> on McCarr, uh, that that wasn't even a good shove and they called a cross check with, with the player facing McCarr, and he just like, gave him a little nut with his thing they call cross a little early and, in the season uh, for the rest one of the two penalties on Byron. Oh, one was stupid and deserved the other one was the second one i thought was was shaky uh, but you know I, I thought, by and large, uh, they they were excellent, solid across the board. Uh, Bednar, I thought, distributed the minutes among forwards and defensemen in exactly the right way. Uh, the Avalanche did not dress out Cogliano last night. McDermott played as kind of a seventh defenseman. Uh, he's out there for deterrence purposes right. only. He plays three minutes, six seconds. Uh, I I love the way the defensive minutes were distributed. Uh, Taves, 24. McCarr, 22-22. Byram, 20-29. Gerard, 20-12. And Manson, 16-15. Johnson, 13-28. And, and McCarr led the league McDermott. in minutes last year, and that's certainly McCarr something they want to McCarr played four minutes down. less last night than he played on average last year, Think which about is how much that would add up. If that can be maintained, that's 320 and he's penalties. <laughs> uh, now he might've played a little more. He'd not been penalized himself, but he kills penalties. He's on the power play plays five on five. And they kept his minutes down to 22, 22. I, I thought that was great. And you know what? He went on the post game last night on TNT, and he was terrific. I've never heard him uh, that energetic, um, very articulate. That doesn't surprise me. But talked about the whole team, talked about uh, 
how they gelled quickly in certain areas in adding the new pieces. But the energy in the interview reflected the fact that, and, and Gretzky talked about it, he said, whether it's 22 minutes or 26 minutes, this guy never gets tired. He's also excited yeah, about never the team he's on. I think yeah. he sensed that. He likes, I, I think we heard that he from Katie Goss the day before yeah, he likes uh, the game. She talked about how the, this team seems to really like each other a lot and the idea they need to gel. But let's look at some of those additions. Let's start at the top line. Jonathan Drown, of course, you're trying, we're paying attention to that. Came up with an assist, a nice plus game. two on the night. Uh, nice I, I thought he I thought he had a nice game. I, I don't know. You don't expecting him to go out there and and score a ton of points, but he needs to make sure that he's enough of a threat or facilitating. And, and he was. He got into the corners, yep. uh, dug out some pucks uh, on the assist. Oh, I, I think in the first goal, well. I, I liked him on the first goal. Yeah. Uh, obviously, McKinnon and Rent and were superhuman last night. Yes, I they mean, often they, are, right. Uh, Rant, McKinnon, by the Rant, way, with a goal and two assists. Rent is just a beast. And, uh, you know, you, you forget uh, last, last year he, he, he kind of scored – the 55 goals, the way Alex English used to have 30 points a night, quietly. Yeah, a bunch of, and, and, and yeah. you, you look up and you're like, what happened? You forget it. Oh, he had 55 goals and 50 assists last year. Uh, and, you know, he, he was the guy who played more than McKinnon and McCarr did and really was in many ways a, a leader of the team. And he was one guy who produced in the playoffs. And he didn't have a lot of company in that regard. Three things generally I noticed about the Avalanche, and yeah, let you get back to some of the new guys. Three things they weren't last year in the playoff series against Seattle. They were energetic, which they weren't against Seattle. They were opportunistic, which they certainly weren't against Seattle. And they blocked shots. 24 against the yeah. Kings, 14 last night. They certainly didn't have that kind of enthusiasm for blocking Josh shots Manson with in five, Bowen Byram with four. I mean, How uh, about Gerard last night? How about Samuel Gerard? Little Samuel Gerard, block shots. who's supposed to get pushed around Leading all the, the team time, in hits. <laughs> led the team in hits and had three block shots. Had four hits and three block shots. Put that in your pipe and smoke it for all these people who think they should trade Gerard at the earliest uh, opportunity. He was not good. He was great. Last night, he was better than Byram. I, I thought actually uh, the the three best defensemen they had last night and the three best defensemen on the ice were McCarr, Taves, and Gerard by far. Duran also uh, one of the two Avalanche players that actually won more faceoffs than they lost. Of course, he only took one and he won one. But that leads us wow. to that second line, Ryan Johansson. We talked about faceoffs being an issue for the Avalanche, and they they still are. Only Duran and Johansson won more than they lost. But in Johansson's case. He won 12 out of 18, a yeah, full two-thirds. That's great. That is a big difference and maker when you're talking about He took about more start, draws than anybody else. Yes. And starting the possession, starting the, the this with a, with possession for the Avalanche skaters, over the course of the year, that makes big differences, especially when you're talking about the special teams play. So I thought Johansson was uh, exactly what they were hoping he will be. And, I understand and he played 15-39, yeah, which is exactly right for him. Probably about right. Uh, Lekkonen. Uh, didn't get on the score sheet, but I thought he was sound. 19 minutes, 18 seconds, so Bednar obviously yep. agrees. And uh, the one disappointment to me last night was Nashushkin, who was wholly ineffective. Uh, it was barely noticeable. He had one decent scoring chance when they let him walk in off the boards uh, from the right, uh, moving from right to left. Uh, but otherwise, uh, I, I thought he was poor. And I think that's, unfortunately... 
uh, going to be an issue, at least early on. Uh, it is pretty clear to me that he's not comfortable. His teammates aren't totally comfortable with him. Um, you know, it, considering he only played 53 games last year during the regular season, he had 47 points, which isn't bad. Uh, I'd be surprised if he has as many as 40 uh, this year. I, I think he's peaked. I think there's stuff going around him, uh, obviously, that's not going to be talked about publicly. But uh, I, I uh, of the top six forwards, he was the one to me who was clearly the least effective. And I take Wood, Colton, and even Tatar over him. Uh, right now, he's he's a third liner to me, uh, maybe. And, and I mean, you like the physical presence, but he was invisible last night, and his minutes reflected at seventeen minutes seven seconds. Uh, he played a little more than Johansson did, but uh, that's natural. He's younger. Uh, played almost two and a half minutes uh, less than Lekkonen. On the, on the same line. Well, they, let me give they you trust Lekkonen. They don't there. trust Nishin. Well, I do think they do. I, think I don't think they trust him. I think that they trust Lekkonen as much as anybody on this team. Well, why is he only playing 17 minutes yeah, in the second I, line? I think there's... When, when the guy in the other yeah, one is playing I think one game in, let's, let's not... Let's not uh, he was terrible. No, I, I'm saying he was bad. Uh, he, was to, he was a non-factor for okay. a guy that big to be that disengaged on a night where they out-hit the Kings 24 to 17. They blocked 24 think, shots to 14 and he was invisible. He, he wasn't there. I, I think he you made a fact. point in there that is worth considering, and that is the fact that, yes, given the way the season ended with Natushkin obviously wearing a, a you know the, the GOAT's label on this, it may be slow going to get going again. And, and I went back and looked at Nassim Kadri in the year the Avs won the Cup, because remember the year prior than that, uh, you could make the argument that his antics were part of the reason that the Avalanche weren't able to advance. Well, is that a... It, Getting suspended and mm-hmm. not being out there. Right. Yeah. yeah. Now, Absolutely. while he did have a good season opening game in the year the Avs won the Cup, he did have a goal and an assist. In the month of October, he had a grand total of six points. He was minus two during that span of time and had 24 minutes in the box in that basically same thing about roughly the, that year they started on the 13th of uh, October, so it was two days earlier for the Avs in this case. But if we were over that, that same time, Kadri only had six points and was negative, was a minus player, and took a ton of penalties. Now, as he was trying to ingratiate himself back into his, with, with the team, even though the team said all the right things, much as they're doing with Nachushka, the next month in November, he scored four goals, but the assist jumped it to 17. He became a plus player in November, and the penalty minutes went from 24 to 6 in the full month. And then, as the rest of the season went along, he continued to have months like that. So... Let- I, I think let's look at the point you made. I think is good. Let me attack it this way. Let's it, look at Nachush. His line was not great, and I thought he dragged it down. I thought the third line was much better than the second line uh, last night, and the main reason, in my opinion, for that was Nachushkin because I thought Johansson and Lekkinen were. I fine. think it's worth monitoring. They didn't get on the score sheet. I don't. I don't line. think it's uh, that. I don't know if it's, it seems premature for me to to say there's a final analysis on the Chushkin season, but I do think it's worth monitoring. No, no, I'm not saying. And I think is, there is a. Bad. I think there's a precedent there with Kadri that that is probably worth looking at because in many ways their situations were similar. Uh, that that third line, as you pointed out, 
that basically comes Third line was better than the uh, second. When you have Wood and Colton and O'Connor, we know what Logan O'Connor can bring. Miles Wood's speed is as advertised. He can really cook. He got the empty well, netter. No, at the end I of the mean, game. Tatar was on the third line. O'Con- I'm O'Connor pardon played. Me. You're right. Tatar. So that was the, the O'Connor played more. Wood, Colton, yes. Tatar. We know that was the line. Uh, Tatar has yeah. been a, a very good veteran guy. Colton is still a guy, believe it or not, even though he's won a Stanley Cup uh, winning goal. He's, he's still on the rise, and I think that line has a lot of promise. The difference between that third, third line we saw last night and the third line that the Avs really, quite frankly, never settled on all last season, that contrast, the third line contrast to me, looked like the biggest difference between the Avs last year and the Avs Yeah, I agree. Right there. I, the I, thought, I thought where you're going to get some contribution. Great. I thought Colton was great, and I'll tell you something. Olofsson... Uh, Played nine minutes, one second, but three minutes, 22 seconds killing penalties. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I did kind of a double take yesterday when I saw him listed on the top penalty killing unit. He was good killing penalties. I I mean, yes, the Kings got off, what, 11 shots on five power plays. That's that's not ideal. And some of the coverage in the zone was a a little loose, but they blocked a lot of shots. Uh, Georgiev... You know, the goaltender is going to be your best penalty killer uh, if you have a good penalty kill. Your goaltender is going to have a lot to do with that. And he's uh, – Georgiev is I, I so good. I understand. Georgiev is for real. So goals. good. And the reason he's so good is because it, it, Henrik Lundqvist points us out on TNT in the studio every time TNT does an abs game. And nobody knows goaltending better than Lundqvist does. And they kind of give him the floor on the goaltending stuff. And he says, I knew this guy was terrific in, in New York. He's got great feet. He, 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 his legs are quick. And that's a strength that the Avs haven't had in goal in a very, 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 very long time, yeah. probably going back to Patrick. And when Watt. he talks about those two references, is I've, I've broken it down before, when you're really looking young goaltenders, and I talked about it with Georgiev as he came to the Avs, what you're really looking at when he talks about you know, the legs are strong and the feet are is lateral movement, side-to-side movement. If you have a goaltender who can get from post to post quickly, that's the kind of person that can blossom into being an absolute star. The Avs, with a big win, 5-2, to two, they looked great. We'll find out when they follow up on Saturday against the San Jose Sharks. How about everybody, uh, virtually everybody played well? It's as, it's as good a start, I think, as you can hope virtually for. I mean, there was really, you, yeah, and you were getting And the 10th and 11th forwards well, were excellent. I mean, o- O'Connor, get a, you know, they made a big deal about Laferriere, is it? The, the yeah. kid for the Kings yeah, making supposed his debut. to be great. Uh, you know, O'Connor got in a fight with o- o- O'Connor more than held his own. Oh, yeah. And they, because Laferriere got him around the neck and ended up. Kind of wrestled him down. Wrestled yeah. him down to the eyes. Oh, well, look at that. And I, O'Connor held his own. Yeah, and first of all, O'Connor. they were fighting because the, the L.A. guy cheap-shotted uh, Olofsson. Olofsson. Need a knee. Yeah. Did so a need a knee shot. So, I mean, O'Connor didn't have to fight, but he did. And I, I was a little mystified as to why the Kings guy got all the credit when it was the Kings who were uh, short-handed. And o- O'Connor, well, no, excited but about these the are kid. TNT. They're excited about yeah. the kid. That's all Come it was, on. Sandy. They were excited about the Come kid. On, Shots no. all night of his parents. His o- debut. O'Connor, I get O'Connor it. was on a Stanley Cup champion. I know. He's not a chump. But they were, and they treated him like a chump. He's enough uh, just, a, just a chump. And, you know, I th- see, I, I sometimes wonder what games these people are really watching. I, I, I really do. 
Uh, and Olson and O'Connor were like hardly ever mentioned. And they, and they were killing penalties. This was a bad penalty killing team. Certainly at the start of last year, probably the worst penalty killing team in the league. Well, the Avs will get another crack at it on Saturday. They will take on the Sharks. The Sharks have their debut tonight against a very tough Vegas Golden Knights team. So we'll keep in, uh, the Avs in focus as well as the season begins. An important one. But we understand the Broncos play tonight. And two very significant quarterbacks. One's definitely going to the Hall of Fame. One looked like he was en route. Maybe not so much. We'll talk about the matchup there next on My Life Sports. From it all, like a blind man. Sat on a fence, but it don't work. Keep coming up with love, but it's so slight. Into pieces, this is my last resort. Suffocation, no. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. On Thursday night football, where the Chiefs play rather frequently, in fact, more than they would like uh, to hear them talk about it, Patrick Mahomes has a record in primetime starts, get this, of 20 and 8, a 714 win percentage. Now, the quarterbacks that have had 20 career primetime starts or more, only four of them have higher winning percentages. You will know all of them Peyton Manning, 72.3%. Joe Montana, 73.3%. Ken Stabler, 73.8%. And Steve Young, 76.7%. All in the Hall of Fame, which is where Mahomes is going to end up. I'm not sure if Mahomes retired today, he wouldn't end up there. Yeah, two Travis, Super Bowls. Travis Kelsey is expected to return. We know that the Broncos can't defend against the run. We know that on their defensive side, they are, giving, they are holding teams to third and out eight percent of their drives the lowest in the nfl i'm not really sure what the denver broncos are going to do to stop kansas city from doing whatever they want patrick mahomes in his last two games against the broncos has thrown for 352 yards and 328 yards respectively with three touchdowns in each of those games if mahomes wants to do that he can do that but if they decide they don't really want to and they want isaiah pacheco to get 100 plus yards they're going to do that too so, what do the Broncos do here to just avoid getting humiliated, or do you just have to take your lumps because that's who you are right now? Yeah, I I just look at it as a kind of game that'll be relatively dull. I, I'm not sure even if Kelsey plays, it'll play very much. There's really not much point in Do you get the feeling that the Chiefs all, understand they can go half speed lot. and win this game and might very well do yeah. it? Yeah, uh, I think they just kind of toy. With the Broncos, there's nothing the Broncos can hurt Kansas City with offensively or defensively. Uh, there's no scheme they can concoct that's going to bother uh, the Chiefs at all, and especially on a short week and having to travel. I just don't think the Broncos will offer much, if any, resistance. And it's one of those games where they'll probably score between uh, 10 and 14 points, and the Chiefs can kind of decide how many points they want to score. Um, boy, there are a lot of games this week. Let's see, two, three, at least three, in which uh, the favorite is favored by double digits. 
Seeing more and more of that. That used to be somewhat uh, unusual. Miami against Carolina, minus 13 and a half. Uh, obviously, the game tonight, Kansas City, minus 10 and a half. And uh, Giants at Buffalo, Buffalo minus 14. Uh, I, I actually thought it was more than three. But three for one, three out of 15 games uh, involve a double-digit favorite. Uh, normally, games you you kind of want to stay away from. Yeah. And I think you still want to stay away from. It is four, these by the three, way. The 49ers, but, or you mentioned the 49ers-Browns, uh, right? Niners Browns are ten point. Niners are ten point favorites on the road. Oh, they are now. Yep. I I I only had them. So there's seven. There's the four. They're up to ten. They're up to ten. As well, they should (laughs) on the road. As well, they should be. How they go from seven to ten and I don't know. More people watch the game, I guess. I don't know, but that's but that's where they're at. Is yeah, now ten point favorites. It, It does feel as if, in the Broncos case, there are a couple challenges. I talked about this yesterday, and I firmly believe that Russell Wilson has made a conscious decision that he's not throwing interceptions. End of story. No, I agree. He will that. he will run if he can. And that's why or he has he a will higher pass or he will di- ditch it. He's not throwing picks because he has seen the writing on the wall. He has already been called out as the person who basically lost them the game against the Raiders by his head coach with a fumble. With fumbles. And again last week indicating that maybe they had a chance to win that one if Russell right. Wilson didn't fumble. Yep. In both cases, uh, I, I've said before, fumbles are bad, but they weren't egregious fumbles. They weren't careless fumbles in either case. But I think Wilson has made it clear he has receivers who are not getting open. He has receivers that are on the trading block. And he understands that if he makes any mistake, his head coach is going to excoriate him publicly, whether it's on the sideline balling him out or literally just blaming him for the loss like he did in the, the season opener against the Raiders. Russell Wilson understands... Oh, commanders. Uh, command, commanders, sorry. This is, they have the game against the commanders. Yeah. Uh, Russell Wilson understands what, that this is his last year with the Broncos. Right. And he's basically decided, and I almost can't blame him, I'm going to try to... I'm going to do some yeah. business here. I'm going to put the best numbers I can on, on film, and I'm going to minimize the amount of times my coach can grouse about me as the guy that lost us well, the game. yeah. Because I probably yeah. can't win us the game. Well, no. He's well beyond that. Um he, he was beyond that in Seattle too. He, he he's not the the nicest thing you can say is that he's not capable of lifting a a mediocre, uh, certainly not a poor team. He's not capable of lifting them to another level. You're not talking about taking a poor team making them great. You're talking about a poor team making them mediocre, and he's not even capable uh, of doing that anymore. And that, that's no knock, but I, I was reading. Something today uh, where uh, a fan was attempting to defend Zach Wilson and said that he outplayed two Hall of Fame quarterbacks in the last two weeks. And I said, well, who's the second? And actually, the second was Russell Wilson, who is hardly a surefire Hall of Famer, first of all. And second of all, Zach Wilson did not outplay Russell Wilson in any statistical sense the other day. And the best thing about Zach Wilson the other day was that he only had to throw nine passes in the second half, even though Jets were were behind at halftime. Can you imagine that? In today's game, you're behind at the half by five points, and your quarterback throws nine passes in the second half, and you win by ten. That's... Something I promise you, you will not see again. 
in 2023. Russell Wilson, you when you look at uh, quarterback efficiency, EPA, expected points added, right? Uh, folks, Sewer Sports broke it down in this way. Your EPA on a play versus what we call non-perfectly covered plays or perfectly covered plays. Against non-perfectly covered plays, uh, Wilson's expected EPA is 16th, right in the middle of the league. Against perfectly covered plays, he's actually 10th. And of the quarterbacks that are on the positive on both sides of the equation, Wilson is one of only 12 quarterbacks that have that. And that includes a couple people with some smaller sample sizes too, like uh, Josh Dobbs and Gardner Minshew. Wilson has been, by most metrics, a middle third quarterback. And that's probably yeah. about where yeah. his ceiling is, which is what we've what we've discussed. I thought that was roughly his ceiling. And I think for the Broncos, Wilson may have understood that's where I need to stay if I'm going to extend my career after the Broncos move on from me as a post-June 1st cut next spring. Uh, I, I agree with you completely. I think 11 touchdown passes against two interceptions – Hard to argue with it. Uh, hard to argue with, but it does tell you his main objective is not to throw picks. And that isn't a bad, I suppose, main objective well, when to have. When you when have you're the worst, a really good team and you have the, and the worst only defense way you in the league. lose is by beating yourself. Yeah. You have the worst defense in 40 years. Maybe not turning the ball over is a pretty good plan. Uh, Don't put the other team on offense. Yeah, but. Seems like a good plan to me. Playing low risk and not to lose ain't going to work uh, here to even keep them competitive. Uh, Poor Russell Wilson. He hits the Denver Broncos, and he gets Nathaniel Hackett, and he well, gets uh, he gets Sean Payton. When all all along, Vic Fangio would have found his guy. Well, <laughs> the best just post Manning Bronco quarterback is Teddy Bridgewater, and I think that will that will always be true. And well, they not. they couldn't wait hope to not get always. Uh, well, I think always <laughs> be true in the current context of where they are now. I you know. Who knows? Maybe they trade for Trey Lance or draft Caleb Williams. <laughs> Anything's possible, I suppose, as bad as they are right now. But, you know, I, I think part of Peyton's thing is when I coached against you, you, you were throwing a ball down the field and, you know, you, you, you could squeeze in passes. You were the most accurate deep throwers in the league. And and now you won't let go of the ball, and you're not as mobile as you used to be, and you're fumbling. And I, listen, I don't think either one of them have covered themselves in glory, but uh, you you need you need more than they're getting at, at almost every position on the field right now, yeah. and that does include quarterback. I mean, people were talking about a return to form this year. That to me meant top ten. And he's nowhere near top. I don't know if that was possible. Second in the league, though, in touchdown percentage, 6.7 behind only, well, the guy that got fat against the Broncos, Justin Fields. Joining us now to break down this game as best as we can, Smiley Sports, Cody Rourke. He joins us next. 